The content of the following program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or cure. Always consult your physician or a health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Ready, set, go! And the truth shall set you free! Welcome to One Life Radio. Happy Furbulous Friday, everyone, and welcome to One Life Radio. This is Bernadette Fiaschetti with Jerry Caldwell, and we are broadcasting live from Dallas, Texas, on iHeartMedia, as well as KMET in Southern California on ABC News Talk. Happy Furbulous Friday and Super Bowl weekend, Jerry. Happy Furbulous Friday. <laughs> are you going to be watching the Super Bowl? Uh, I would much rather watch the Puppy Bowl. Really? You don't like I forgot. You're not a big football fan. Well, I am. I mean, I, can't I might wait. watch the Super Bowl, but I also have yeah. other plans, too. Uh, yeah. Katie and I are going to be doing our uh, Valentine's thing on Sunday. Oh, so. that's right. It's, it's Valentine's weekend. That's right. Valentine's is uh, next Tuesday or Wednesday. We're, we're going to do a Valentine's show, you, myself, and Marie. So Excellent. that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I listened back to the show that we did. I guess yesterday I listened to it last night. Oh, my gosh. The three of us at the beginning of the show were so silly. We were all over the place. But uh, oh, radio is so much fun, especially live. And we have a fantastic show for you today. At the half, we've got Autumn Connolly. She's going to be talking about orthomolecular medicine. And I believe she's going to do a little mantra for us as uh, well, a chant. And so, but first up, we have someone uh, with us today who I am just so impressed with. I am he still is, trying to get a hold of him, by oh, the way. Oh, you're still trying to get a hold of him. Okay, well, um, uh, well, should we just talk amongst ourselves while we try to get a hold of him? Or? Uh, yes. My fingers okay. are rant, uh, frantically trying to reach out and touch him. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, gosh, I don't know what to talk about, but I can tell you this. They're up to a lot of really fantastic things. I guess I can start by reading his bio, and hopefully we'll get him uh, get him on here in the meantime. His name is Justin Goodman. Uh, he is an MA. He is also the Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Public Policy for the White Coat uh, Waste Project. For more than 15 years, Justin has led high-profile winning grassroots and lobbying campaigns to expose and put an end to wasteful and cruel taxpayer-funded experiments on dogs, cats, primates, and other animals. In 2017, Justin was awarded the 40 Under 40 Award Award <laughs> by the American Association of Political Consultants. His advocacy work is regularly featured in major media outlets, including Fox News, The New York Times, Politico, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, The, H- the Hill, Daily Caller, Washington Times, and niche publications, including Science and Nature. Justin has co-authored extensive peer-reviewed research on ethical, Hold scientific... On oh, hello? I have him on the phone. Oh, you have him on the phone. <laughs> okay, so uh, let me finish reading this last bullet point, and then I will introduce him. Justin has also, he co-authored extensive peer-reviewed research on ethical, scientific, and regulatory issues related to animal testing. Their website is whitecoatwaste.org. That's whitecoatwaste.org. Or on social, you can find him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at whitecoatwaste. Justin Goodman, such an honor to have you with us today. Welcome to to One Life Radio. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. 
Yeah, I'm so impressed with all the work that you've done all these years. And I, uh, I, I the, let's start with this, okay? So, you know, and I just want to thank you for jumping on the air with us. And so how did you first become involved in the White Coat Waste Project? Uh, great question. I've been, I've been vegetarian and uh, vegan mostly since the 1990s, and I've always cared about animal issues. Me too. And when I got to um, graduate school in the early 2000s at the University of Connecticut, I discovered there was a monkey lab on campus that no one knew about. Uh, and my wife and I, we were both grad students at the time, we started a student organization and did started investigating this laboratory and launched a campaign to shut it down. And fast forward a couple of years, we were successful. The lab closed. They had to return money back to the government for some of the cool experiments they were doing. They were oh my drilling holes in monkey skulls, mm -hmm. giving them brain damage by destroying parts of their brain with acid. And then they were implanting steel coils in their eyes to see yeah. if they could follow a target on a screen once they destroyed their, the part of their brain that controlled their eye movements. Oh, my gosh. Um, so these monkeys were being horribly abused. They'd received almost, the lab had received almost $2 million in tax money. And we went after them and said, this isn't how our money should be spent on, you know, wasteful and cruel experiments on animals. We shut that lab down. And that was um, 16 years ago, actually. And since then, wow. I've been working full time to end as many experiments on animals that are funded by the government as possible. And I've spent the last six and a half years doing that at White Coat. Mm -hmm. Huzzah well, to you, sir. That is that is horrendous. Yeah, no, it is. Oh, th there's more. There's so much cruelty that goes on, isn't there? Oh, my gosh. It's just, it's it's mind-blowing. And what I don't understand is, is uh, you guys, how people th find it so acceptable. Why do you think they find it so acceptable, Justin? Well, I think that for a long time, animal experimenters and the agencies that fund them, like the National Institutes of Health, have really abused their authority mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. made some people believe that in order to have you know, medicine and other public health interventions, we need to torture animals. And that's mm -hmm. absolutely not the case. Um, you know, the National Institutes of Health is the single largest funder of animal testing in the entire world. Wow. They spend about $20 billion a year on animal testing. It's about half the NIH's budget is wasted wow. on the animal experiments. And at the same time, the NIH says that nine out of 10 drugs that pass these animal tests fail in people because they don't work or mm -hmm. they're dangerous. Yeah. So it's actually incredibly wasteful in addition to being cruel and in addition to being expensive. Um, and that's why, you know, in 2023, we know better than ever that animal experiments fail to translate to humans. We, a majority, a growing majority of the American public opposes animal testing. And there's better technology than ever mm -hmm. um, to replace animal use. So for all of those reasons, whether it's ethical or economical, um, or for efficacy purposes, um, you know, st ending wasteful spending on animal testing is a good proposition for everyone, animals and people. Mm -hmm. um, but the colleges and universities that receive a lot of this money and the federal agencies that are receiving a lot of this money from taxpayers, they've got a very powerful lobby. Yeah. You know, if you think about all the companies that are breeding the dogs and the monkeys and importing monkeys and breeding cats and breeding mice and rats by the millions by the hundreds of millions. Uh, you have the companies that make the cages and transport the animals mm -hmm. and clean the cages and, and and dispose of the animals who are killed and incinerated in these laboratories. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a big business. It and is. And that's why it's stuck around for so long. Not because it's good science. 
it's because there's a lot of people making a lot of money torturing animals in labs. Yeah. And they've had, you know, they've been influential for a long time. And so, thankfully, the tide is turning. Mm-hmm. I know they have. They do it right here at Southwestern, uh, uh, you know, here in Dallas. Uh, I know someone that used to work there and um, she was a huge animal lover. And for her, you know, it was cathartic because she got to, you know, um, give those experimental animals, uh, you know, love, which we're going to get into that, too, because you were going to touch on that as well. But, you know, I think that this callousness and this this cruelty, though, that's taught in these laboratories all over the world. But we're even here in the U.S. Just let, let's just concentrate on the U.S. So. I think it creates, um, a, like I said, a callousness, if you will, in these doctors or a, 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 like a, creates like an egomaniac mentality where, you're, where you, you can do whatever you want because you feel like you're human and you're superior. I don't necessarily uh, agree with that. I don't think that the human race is superior <laughs> to other um, creatures on the planet yeah. for, for a lot of different reasons. How do you feel about what I just said, Justin? Do you feel that any of that is validity? I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I think that, you know, science shows us that animals are like us in the ways that matter, and they suffer, and they feel pain, and they care about each other. Um, and that's why we care about them, because we yeah. recognize how similar they are to us. And anyone who's ever had a cat or a dog or other companion yeah. in their house knows that. Well, it's um, a slippery so slope. it's really just about being consistent and saying, you know, if we're going to treat, you know, if we're going to protect cats and dogs in our houses— then we should protect cats and dogs everywhere, and we shouldn't let, you know, uh, bureaucrats and white coats and federal agencies take our money uh-huh. and then use it against our wishes to torture these animals and experiments that are completely wasteful and cruel. I mean, we've, you know, we've found all kinds of horrible experiments on dogs and cats being funded by the federal government, and these are things, you know, there's, to your point, I mean, there's a, there's a double standard in this country that's difficult to reconcile right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On one hand, you have cats, most people... Be- consider cats and dogs, people who have cats and dogs, most people consider them members of their family or even children, mm-hmm. if you ask them. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I, on the I, other I, hand, <laughs> there's... Yeah, go ahead, please. No, no, you go ahead. I, I, I'm, this is this is really important, um, a, a, a very important discussion that we're having for everyone out there listening, because you know we need. Uh, you know, I, I, I love beagles, always have, but I recently adopted a beagle. I named him, named him Peter, and I started this hashtag Peter for Progress. You know, because we need progress in a lot of areas, uh, the puppy mill system, just uh, as the things that you are against the white coat, uh, you know, the white coat waste project, cutting out the taxpayer waste and the cruelty, most importantly. Um, But, you know, I'm going all over the place here with this, but um, it's very emotional to talk about. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So, you know, these these are animals who we consider members of the family. And on the other hand, we have laws in most states across the country and federally that exempt labs from cruelty laws. Uh-huh. So if you abuse an animal, you know, if you torture a dog or a cat in your garage, you're going to jail. But if you do it in a, the same exact thing in a laboratory, exactly. you get a raise and a bonus and a grant from the federal government. <laughs> so, right, you know, that's, yeah. if you're rewarded handsomely. Yeah, um, and we're... And yeah, there's very... There's very what? No, no, go ahead. No, 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 you were saying there's very there's very little what? Very, oh, I mean, no... oh, I was going to say there's there's basically no limits on what you can do to animals in right. labs, no matter how right. stupid or painful, as long as you fill the I right know. paperwork out. 
It's terrible. It's terrible. And I'm reading here. And what I was going to, where my mind went off is I have a Beagle puppy. And I was thinking about Beaglegate because that's a campaign that yeah. you guys started that went viral that was very successful. Um, and uh, can we talk about that? For, well, you know what? I'm looking at the clock. Let's talk about it when we come back from break. We're going to talk about Beaglegate and a lot of the other things that uh, the White Coast, uh, not White Coast, White Coat Waste Project is working on. And uh, we'll continue with Justin Goodman. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back. You are listening to One Life Radio. If you miss the show, not to worry. You can always catch the podcast after the broadcast at OneLifeRadio.com or your favorite podcast app. Be sweet, Barricade. Hey everyone, I have to share a story about how amazing TerraFlora Advanced Care is for gut health. So my friend Liz contracted a debilitating intestinal bacterial infection about a month ago. Her doctor told her she could have died if left untreated. He prescribed a strong antibiotic that treated her infection, but unfortunately left her with terrible stomach bloating along with other intestinal issues. I recommended that she take TerraFlora Advanced Care to help her replenish the good gut bacteria lost by taking the antibiotic. Liz said she could tell the difference in her gut immediately after taking the advanced care. Her stomach bloating went away and she could feel her gut working the way it's supposed to. She says TerraFlora Advanced Care has been a game changer and she won't go without it. I hear stories like this all the time about TerraFlora Advanced Care and all the TerraFlora probiotics. I have been taking them for years myself and I encourage everyone to visit Enviromedica.com to see their full line of probiotics and find the one that's right for you. That's Enviromedica.com. Hi, this is Kevin Nealon. Did you know that tens of millions of animals are killed in laboratories every year in experiments that don't improve human health? Nine out of 10 new drugs that work in animals fail in humans. Imagine if a mail carrier couldn't find 95% of houses, they'd be out of a job. So why are we still experimenting on animals like it's 1950? It's time for real research that can actually help human patients. Visit PETA.org to learn how to fight this wasteful fake science. Back with more positivity pouring out your speakers. It's One Life Radio. Welcome back, everyone, <laughs> and happy Furbulous Friday. <laughs> this is Bernadette with Jerry Caldwell and Justin Goodman. We are continuing our live broadcast here from Dallas, Texas on iHeartMedia, as well as KMET in Southern California on ABC News Talk. If you're just now joining us, Justin Goodman is the Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Public Policy for the White Coat Waste Project. For more than 15 years, Justin has led high-profile winning grassroots and lobbying campaigns to expose and end uh, wasteful and cruel taxpayer-funded experiments on dogs, cats, primates, and other animals. In 2017, Justin was awarded the 40 Under 40 Award by the American Association of Political Consultants. His advocacy work is regular, regularly featured in major media outlets, outlets such as uh, Fox News, The New York Times, Politico, Washington Post, uh, Wall Street Journal, The Hill, Daily Caller, Washington Times, and niche publications including Science and Nature. Justin has co-authored extensive peer-reviewed research on ethical scientific 
traffic and regulatory issues related to animal testing. Their website is whitecoatwaste.org. That's whitecoatwaste.org. On social, you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at White Coat Waste. Okay, so Justin, right before the break, we were talking about BeagleGate, uh, which is a campaign that went viral, sparked an international uproar, and prompted U.S. lawmakers to take action and stop the abuse of dogs in tests bankrolled by Dr. Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease and other NIH divisions. What do you want people to know about BeagleGate? I think one thing it's important for people to realize is that, and I mentioned this earlier, that the National Institutes of Health, the federal government, is the single largest funder of animal testing in the world. Um, it's not cosmetics companies. It's not drug companies. It's Uncle Sam. And actually, mm. a lot of the testing that happens for personal products and for drugs is required by the federal government. So even if companies don't want to do it, often they're forced to. Mm. Um, so our work at yeah, White Coat Waste Project, we have three million members across the country. Wow. And we work, you know, we have, we, our system, we have a cute little acronym. We talk because we work on federal policy, FED, find, expose, and defund these <laughs> programs. And back in 2021, we started investigating dog testing uh, being funded and conducted by the NIH, both in its own labs and colleges and universities and private country uh, companies around the country. Uh, and we found a series of disturbing projects, both in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, one of the big ones that we exposed that really created an uproar was mm -hmm. that uh, Dr. Fauci's division at the NIH was shipping money to a lab in Tunisia that was taking beagles, drugging them to sedate them, and then locking them in God. cages with hungry sand flies so that the sand flies could, you know, bite them and eat them alive, basically, because mm. um, they like to feed on the uh, beagles' ears and faces where they could easily accept the blood. Um, so that, you know, that investigation really sparked a lot of anger from taxpayers and people around the country and around the world um, and opened up the door for us to expose where going to be exposing our eighth example uh, of uh, dog testing funded by Fauci's division or his former division. He's now retired pretty soon. Um, but other projects we've exposed during BeagleGate is poisoning puppies with experimental drugs and cutting out their vocal cords so they can't bark. Oh, my gosh. Infesting them with hundreds of mutant ticks and sand flies, uh, injecting them with cocaine, um, and thankfully, we exposed a project last year where they were testing, they were developing a new allergy, like a seasonal allergy drug, drug for hay fever. I suffer from seasonal allergies, just like a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. I find that Claritin and other things work perfectly fine. No dogs need to be tortured to get me a better allergy drug for my runny nose. Um, but we exposed a plan where the NIH was about to spend $2 million to uh, conduct five different tests on dogs to assess this new allergy drug. And when we exposed the project, uh, the NIH actually canceled it as a result of the pressure they felt from us and from members of Congress. Wow. Um, and, you know, everything we do, this what's great about this issue is that it really unites people on the left and the right and mm -hmm. center, both across this country and Capitol Hill, and on Capitol Hill amongst members of Congress. You know, we have, we have no litmus test for our members uh, we welcome vegetarians and libertarians, you know, meat eaters, uh -huh. hunters. Yeah. Uh, we're a wide tent organization because it's difficult to get people to agree on everything. But we can find common ground with people. 
on a lot of issues, and we really try to do that. And one of those issues is animal testing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Regardless of how people feel about other animal issues, this is an issue where there's wide bipartisan agreement among people across this country who want to see this stop. Uh, And even if they don't want to see it completely stop, they don't want to be forced to pay for it. Right. So there's really something for everyone here. And, you know, we're. Yeah, go ahead. No, that was going to say, yeah, there really is. It's like it's a there's truly something for everyone. And it has it's across the board. It's very bipartisan. I noticed that as well. Um, And so, yeah, we can all agree that any kind of cruelty to to an animal, a defenseless animal is just not it's not cool. I'm reading on the Defender newsletter was a story that came out yesterday that 380 plus scientists NIH-funded experiments on monkeys, cruel and unethical primatologist Jane Goodall joined more than 380 scientists who on Wednesday urged the National Institutes of Health to review and end funding for cruel experiments on uh, monkeys, some of which involve implanting electrodes into the animals' brains. And it goes on and on, but uh, basically the same thing that you're working on and fighting on every level, but I mean... This goes on at, you know, a lot of uh, institutions and uh, universities all over the world, right? Even at, is this, is this kind of experimentation? I'm just curious. I think I know the answer. Is this going on at Harvard? Yeah, absolutely. Harvard, Yale, all the Ivy League schools, actually Ivy Uh League uh, universities are raking in almost, you know, more taxpayer dollars. You know, we're talking about hundreds of millions in some cases. Wow. Uh, much of which is being used on animal experiments at places like Yale, where they have monkey labs, and Harvard, where they have, obviously, you know, they have they have monkey labs there, and, you know, they're experimenting on tens of thousands, if not more, of animals at, at these colleges and universities. And part of the problem is that, as I mentioned earlier, colleges and universities make a lot of money off of this. Mm-hmm. So whenever, you know, whenever you get a, a multi-million dollar grant, the college and university takes 25 to 30 percent off right off the top. Wow. Just for administrative costs, so just to keep the university running and to spend it up basically on on whatever they want in the slush fund. So they want to keep the spigot on, and that's why they fight so hard against reforms. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have, you know, we have been successful in, in tightening the reins on this stuff. Um, you know, we uh, in 2016 our very first campaign was called "Spending to Death," and that was an investigation of dog testing inside federal labs. And at the time, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs was doing uh, the most painful and the most testing on dogs in the entire federal government. And what they were oh doing is taking legal puppies and just injecting latex in their arteries <sighs> and get induced heart attacks and then forcing them to run on treadmills to stress their hearts oh or killing them God. and dissecting yeah. them. And the VA was doing that at uh, VA facilities across the country, but also at some colleges and universities where they were funding experiments like uh, breeding Dobermans to have a sleep disorder, narcolepsy, and injecting them with methamphetamines. Oh uh, all kinds of horrible abuses they were, they were imagining and then carrying out on what? these defenseless animals with our money. And, you know, we're very proud that as of this fall, we have shut down all of the VA's dog testing. They were using about 200 dogs a year in experiments, including maximum pain experiments. They induce pain and then intentionally withhold pain relief. Oh and we've been gosh. able to completely shut down the VA's testing on dogs. And now that's what we're trying to do at other agencies like the NIH wow. and get them to follow suit because we have been able to unite members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans, to take action to mm-hmm. uh, cut some of this wasteful animal experimentation that most people oppose and they're sick and tired of being forced to pay for. 
Well, and it's just awful. There's definitely progress happening. Yeah, thanks to you and accolades, you know, applause, applause, applause to you, Justin, uh, and your uh, wife and everyone at the uh, whitecoatwaste.org uh, uh, for all of the work that you guys have been doing, you know. And so let's uh, let's change gears here just a little bit. Let's talk about something um, that's a little bit happy about this, uh, some of the work that you guys are doing <laughs> at the, <laughs> about the uh, life after the lab. And uh, can you share Violet, Delilah, and uh, Petite's stories with the listeners so we can leave them with something happy to think about of the work that you're doing? And I encourage everyone to donate to the whitecoatwaste.org. Uh, I'm sure you can do like an auto um, payment, right, every month? Justin, were they, yes, you know? Amazing. Yes, yes. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, org is our website, uh, at White Coat Waste on all the social media platforms. We're always posting mm-hmm. lots of updates. Uh, and, yeah, you can join our mailing list at org, and you can donate. You know, we are always looking for, we like to say, doers and donors. So we yeah. need people who can make calls and sign petitions and send mem- letters to their members of Congress. Um, but also people, yeah, who can chip in. And, you know, the overwhelming majority of our our revenue comes from small dollar donations yeah. from advocates and activists all around the country who are giving 10 bucks. Some give 10 bucks a month and some give 10 bucks a year, but it all helps mm-hmm. uh, work to get animals out of laboratories. You know, we're a small organization where, oh, you know, we're, we have 20, 21 employees. Um, so we're a wow. relatively small, newer organization compared to mm-hmm. some of the big establishment groups, but we're very effective. You are. As, you know, we've been discussing, and you've said, and we're grateful for your support and enthusiasm for the work we're doing. That's um, so important. Yeah, so it's... donations, donations are uh, greatly accepted, uh, and we're, we'd be thrilled to have folks support in any way. And to your point that you made before, you know, a lot of what we do is sad and depressing. Uh, and infuriating, um, but there are happy endings. You, you know, you mentioned Dr. Jane Goodall. Mm-hmm. We were able to work with her a few years ago. There was a, uh, a Food and Drug Administration lab that was uh, addicting baby monkeys to nicotine. I remember uh, that down in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and we got through the Freedom of Information Act investigation. We did. We exposed the videos and the project, and worked with Dr. Jane Goodall. Uh, and we're able to pressure the FDA for the first time in history to not only shut down the project, but to send those monkeys to a sanctuary where they now live in Florida Aww. at a sanctuary called Jungle Friends. Yeah. And well, you know, there are 26 monkeys who you know, had a happy ending as a result of that. And we're, we're trying to recreate that uh, as much as we can for other animals and laboratories. Mm-hmm. I love uh, uh, I love talking about this only because it brings to light what's really going on behind the scenes, the darkness. And, but, you know, one of the things that I really want to say, I want to, and I know you, I said this earlier, but I want to reiterate that this callousness of these scientists and doctors that are executed daily, um, no pun intended, but, uh, you know, that they, they, these experiments, if you will, these cruel, cruel experiments, that's a trickle down from the top, number one. And number two, how can you do that kind of work and then go out and be this loving, peaceful citizen of, uh, our, of our country, right, uh, or anywhere else in the world? How can you do such cruel things and have that not affect you emotionally and mentally? And um, I don't know. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? I, th- I think it's, uh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's just, I know yeah, no, I agree 100%. You know, there is, it, this is, you know, people are social. These animal experimenters, it, 
no one, no five-year-old kid, when you ask them what they want to do for a living when they grow up, says, I want to, you know, give mice cancer and decapitate them yeah. on the weekend. Like, no, no one is, like, aiming to do that. No one's ambition is to torture animals and experiments. Least popular you, hobby you know, ever. What happens, At least what? Least yeah. popular <laughs> hobby ever. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, just... yeah, I don't think there's, unless you're a serial killer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, it, know, it's... These people are... <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. No, go, I'm just like, it's, it teaches just so, so much disrespect for life and a callousness. I don't know how, and, 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 and I think it's wrong for our government to force these students or these universities to force these scientists and these doctors, like, if you want to want to get your medical degree, you have to do this and this and this, you know, against, the, probably a lot of them against their will. I can't imagine anyone wanting to do that and feel good about it when they leave yeah, the, I mean, you know, leave the, the, the lab that day. It's got to be a terrible you're feeling. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. But, you know, what happens is it's a process of socialization that happens over a long period of time. You know, when you're young, this isn't something you're doing. And then you get to maybe elementary school or middle school or high school and you're in biology and maybe you're, you know, maybe you're very keen on science and want to pursue a career in that and maybe take an AP course or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask you to or force you to, depending on where you live, dissect a cat or a frog or some other animal. Yeah. So that's the first kind of uh, experience that young people have with the use of animals, you know, the harmful use of animals in yeah. science. And they start to be desensitized to it. You start to view animals, right. you know, cats not as pets, frogs not as wild animals mm-hmm. who should be living out, you know, in the wild. But as tool, disposable tools who are yeah. down on your desk, you cut them apart and then you throw them out. And then you get the undergrad in grad school and people, you know, unfortunately people who are interested in the life sciences often end up with internships or something in a laboratory where, you know, you're the low person on the totem pole and your job is to yeah. like literally some undergrads decapitate mice, for yeah. the, you know, for, oh my gosh. for a paycheck on the weekends for, for, for a job while they're in school that further desensitizes you. So when it right. comes time to start doing experiments yourself, you know, you've been groomed basically for years to yeah. be comfortable at that point with hurting animals and, and then justifying it to yourself right. that, this is, that this is how we do science. So Abs- I think what's going to happen over time is that there's going to be a cultural shift, hopefully, where hope people, so. young people now who have a different sensibility about these things are going to be more willing to stand up and say no, and there's a better way to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it just it carries over to a lot of places in society that we're not even thinking about, um, where like a CEO of a pharmaceutical company can say, yeah, a few folks are going to die, but we're going to make X amount of, you know, millions of dollars in the first quarter. That's a piece of this puzzle, too. It's just a callousness, you know, without thinking about what you're doing to other people, other living things, other animals in this case. And I really need to go to break, but I have to tell you real quick, and we should also try, and you're probably working on this, you know, companies like like Petco that still sell live animals. I had a, something happen to me. I went in to get some uh, cat litter at Petco because the, the, they, I didn't have enough. Uh, though I usually get it delivered auto-shipped, but it wasn't enough. Anyway, so I'm in Petco on Sunday, this past Sunday, to go get cat litter, and there was two employees. One was on the register, and one walked up with a little box, Justin, you know, like a little pet box, and um, and he started whispering to the guy. He's like, yeah, this, they brought it back. They said it was going crazy. And I said, what is that? And he said, it's a mouse. 
I said, what are you going to do with that? Because they were acting, I don't know what they were going to do with it, but I said, what are you going to do with it? And they both looked at, looked at the me and then, you know, looked at each other. And I said, I'll take the mouse. I'll buy the mouse. Because I, I didn't know what they were going to do with it. And the fact that it got brought back, beside, because and they said, yeah, because yeah, it was going crazy. I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this mouse? And I've had pet rice, uh, rats before, not rice, but rats. <laughs> and I'm trying to tell, I'm trying to play beat the clock here and get to break. But um, yeah. to make a long story short, I bought the mo- the mouse for six dollars and fifty cents and I brought it home and it was so scared it wouldn't even come out of the box and so I put it in a in an area in my landscaping that was safe where nowhere it would be able to you know get free and get shelter and all that and I have other mice that live on the property anyway and I put a little thing of water out there and I put some bird seed and some little nuts out there because I wasn't even sure what it what it could eat at that point but it but my point of the story is that little mouse was scared to death and they sell the live mice to feed to the people that think that they should have a snake and all these animals that they people think that they can just hold captive in their homes it's just not right it's a it's just a bad thing all the way around and we have to go to break but final comments justin and you've got to come back because i've so enjoyed this conversation I, yeah me too no it's been great and, and kudos to you for helping that little mouse no i think listen i think there's I think the way the government treats animals and the way they pay labs to treat animals is at odds with most people's sensibilities about animal welfare and animal rights and how they think cats, dogs, and other animals should be treated. Uh, And what we're trying to do is make our laws and policies and the way the government spends our money reflect American values. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think those those are going to reflect kindness and care for animals and not callousness and cruelty. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back, everyone. I encourage you to go to whitecoatwaste.org and make a monthly donation, even if it's just $5. The work that these guys do is so important. Justin Goodman, uh, you're a noble man. Thank you so much for jumping on the air with us today and for all the work that you do. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. All right, everyone. We have Autumn Connolly on the line waiting. Uh, We're going to be talking about orthomolecular medicine. Stay tuned. You are listening to One Life Radio. Follow us on social media at One Life Radio. Crazy Waters benefits have a history that runs deep. The legend is that in 1881, a woman who suffered from dementia would sit by the well and drink the mineral water all day long. People began to notice that the woman was not so crazy anymore. Had the well gotten rid of her crazies? The well became known as the Crazy Well and people from all over flocked to this magical place. Back in 1904, the famous mineral water company began bottling and distributing its mineral water. The benefits of these minerals all feed your body and mind what it craves. It's a natural sports drink without all the disruptive artificial flavors and sugars. You can find Crazy Water by visiting their website, drinkcrazywater.com. That's drinkcrazywater.com. We all strive for a life full of bliss and happiness. Well, what if I told you it's possible? Learn how to live in bliss at the Pure Bliss of Tantra Free Talk and Guided Meditation, led by Kadampa Meditation Center of Texas resident teacher, Gen Kelsang Menla. Saturday, February 11th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. at the Dallas Museum of Art, followed by an open house at the beautiful Kadampa Meditation Center just a few blocks away. Visit meditationintexas.org and begin your journey into bliss. Contagiously positive, One Life Radio is back. 
everyone. Welcome back to One Life Radio. This is Bernadette with Jerry Caldwell. We are continuing our live broadcast here from Dallas, Texas on iHeartMedia, as well as KMET in Southern California on ABC News Talk. We have Autumn Connolly with us. She lives in the Sky Islands of Arizona with her four kiddos and her animal babies. She is the creator of Anvil Traditional Healing, a company dedicated to restoring microbiome health through diet. Autumn is also a self-taught vegan chef, a cereal gardener, and an avid believer in and a teacher of the healing powers of meditation. You can email Autumn at meditatewithautumn at gmail.com. That's meditatewithautumn at gmail.com. Or visit her website, anvilletraditionalhealing.com. Uh, and it's always great to have her with us. Uh, Autumn, how are you doing? Hi. <laughs> hey. My favorite giggle on the whole show. I know. I love this girl. She's so sweet. And, uh, you know, yeah, I wish you lived back in Dallas again or Fort Worth, uh, but I know you're very happy uh, in the Sky Islands of Arizona with your four kiddos. <laughs> you, oh, yeah. I would love that. I would. We could do the show live from uh, right here in the studio. But, uh, yeah, you know. You were, um, I'm sorry about cutting you a little short, but, I, you know, when we were talking about uh, the White Coat uh, Waste Project with Justin Goodman, oh, yeah. it was so important what he was covering. Just so, so important it that we address that. Yeah. And I know you're, you're like me, you know, you're out there saving mice and <laughs> doing oh, crazy gosh. things. Yeah, we had a raven the other day, um, a raven Aww. with a hurt wing, and it was a lot of, it was a lot of um, fun. I mean, I wasn't happy he was hurt, but it was a lot of fun to have him around and Aww. It's a special sort of um and what happened you, sort of yeah. thing. you specialize in oh. taking you know a lot about birds so what did you do I for the do, raven but this fella had some bullets in him and i was not oh. able to help him although oh. i did provide him with a safe place to pass on um oh rather gosh. than being um stalked by <laughs> the wild desert animals so oh, he wow. got to be outside in a protected area while he yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, That's sad. Transitioned. You know, yes, but you know, he was a re- he was a happy little guy. So it was yeah. neat to have. He was obviously, you know, you can tell. It's kind of like you were saying about the little mouse. You can tell the emotions of these animals if you're still enough to pay attention. And there was yeah. definitely gratitude coming from this animal. He hadn't eaten or he hadn't oh. eaten or had any water for some time, and so he, wow. you know, he didn't die of starvation. He just yeah um slowly died of his injuries so yeah it's um, sad but you know it's a yeah it's a great life lesson uh for your children as well to teach them that's a that's a kind of compassion that's missing in our world today it really is i for whatever reasons maybe because of so much experimentation being socially acceptable and i don't know uh it's got to stop though it's really it's not good for anybody in the world yeah you know and it's like um also a good lesson you know in the in the in the switching from here to um wherever it is that one goes you know little little kids you'll notice that my younger one my my three-year-old she was she was upset that um because she thought you know they were friends and everything and at the same time once i explained well sweetie you know he just left he just left this body, but he still has his spirit body, you know, and she, mm-hmm. she, it, immediately she's like, oh, okay, well, Aww. then I'm fine. 
That's so cute. <laughs> and you're such a good mom. You are. And, you know, you were, you were, and the reason we picked this topic today, which we're going to run short on time um, because of just, I went over with the first guest, but orthomolecular medicine. And you picked this topic because you said, Autumn, and I don't think you'll mind me sharing that you were feeling, you're not feeling as healthy as you, as you once were, and you needed to get back on track <laughs> with, um, with your supplementation and all these things that, you know, make us healthy. And you said you wanted to talk about orthomolecular medicine. So, you know, we've talked about this before, of course over the years. I don't think there's anything we haven't talked about, but can you remind yeah, okay. our listeners what is orthomolecular medicine? Um, orthomolecular medicine is just the idea of these mega dose of vitamins that are all needed for optimum brain, brain health, which um, contributes to overall um, physical health. And so it's the idea that because of the deficiencies in our diet, primarily processed food, refined carbohydrates like sugar and white flour and um, that sort of thing that we're all we're all kind of starting off on the wrong foot nutritionally. So the heavy hit heavy hitting vitamins like something as simple as vitamin C and vitamin E are um, oftentimes deplete. Um, in a human and as you age mm-hmm. and go through more stressful times and trauma where your body is calling um, calling on itself to do more than maybe it's um, nutritionally equipped to do you further um, you further wear yourself thin in these areas of these much needed nutrients so yeah. with orthomolecular medicine you just take high doses of certain certain supplements and um, restore that balance mm-hmm yeah, I guess the uh, ortho in, in Greek means right. Okay, so uh, yeah. right meaning nutrient molecules are at the right time. So, you know, an mm-hmm. or- orthomolecular therapy, I, I did not know this, started back in the 50s. Um, and then it's funny, as I was reading, it was it was developed as a, a few psychiatrists began adding masses, massive doses of nutrients to their treatment of severe mental problems. This is what they did to my brother, this megavitamin therapy uh, accompanied yeah. with uh, shock treatments and stuff. It was fascinating. Yeah to read about it, but we're, you know, that's not really necessarily what we're taught, the, the part that we're talking about today. And I wanted you to share, um, I don't know, Jerry, should we go to break first and then uh, that would probably about, be better before you got in depth into anything. Yeah, yeah, because then we're, we're going to run <laughs> super, super late. Okay, so okay. let's go for a quick break. Uh, more coming up with Autumn Connolly and Orthomolecular Medicine. Stay tuned, everyone. You are listening to One Life Radio. You're listening to One Life Radio. Make sure you check out our podcast and get to know the show at OneLifeRadio.com. We're back. More of One Life Radio starts now. Welcome back to One Life Radio. This is Bernadette with Jerry and Autumn Connolly. We are broadcasting live from Dallas, Texas on iHeartMedia as well as KMET in Southern California on ABC News Talk. We're talking with Autumn Connolly about orthomolecular medicine. So tell us about your personal experience with orthomolecular medicine recently here, uh, Autumn, if you would. Well, yes. Well, you know, I have, um, I was in my 20s, I was diagnosed with um, with uh, lupus and so I've kind of spent um, my early early 20s kind of trying to write my health and um, mm-hmm. then as my um, 20s wore on I just I started researching so heavily on these different areas and I, I I have gotten myself to the point where I don't really have any autoimmune symptoms but I also live a life that's pretty clean and um, purposeful mm-hmm. but Recently, you know, with the with the kiddos and just life and 
everything, I feel like I've been run a bit ragged, more just um, with my day-to-day demands of being a mom of four and everything. Oh, yeah. And so I noticed some, some, some slight symptoms coming up, and, you know, it just triggered my mind into thinking, oh, you know, what were the modalities that really helped me heal? Because what I would like to do this time and what I find is most helpful for the average person is prevent, <laughs> prevent yeah. the big issue, right? You know, rather than let an issue fully come to a head and then have to tackle it, I'd rather just um, pay attention and have this level of self-awareness that allows me to um, step back into the healing modalities that I've experienced um, as being beneficial. So I think with orthomolecular medicine, one of the neat things is you can totally feel it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, it's, it does create a it's mentally uplifting as well as being physically uplifting. And you kind of have this sense that, um, uh, you know, a flashing red alert siren has been turned off. And mm-hmm. that to me is always is always such a key indicator that I'm on the right track. And, um, uh, you know, I'm also a firm believer in in the idea that uh, a lot of times with our self-care, more is better. So the idea that orthomolecular has you do these mega doses of vitamins in addition to uh, orthomolecular nutrition, whereas mm-hmm. you're just cleaning your diet out Um to me, these megadose vitamins for this short period of time are what are more likely to mimic some sort of natural healing rather than every day for the rest of our lives we take this vitamin and that vitamin, this vitamin. From uh, you know, from just a manifestation standpoint, if every morning you wake up and you take ten pills, see, there's something in you that's reinforcing that you need these ten pills, and it's going to prevent you from healing at the level that you could. Mm-hmm. So with orthomolecular medicine, I like to you know just gobble down all the supplements for a few weeks or maybe even a few months, and then stop and go back to living my life. Yeah. As the, happy, healthy human I am. <laughs> yeah, and as clean as you can. With And stress has a big effect uh, on uh, on people going sideways and getting out of a healthy lifestyle, right? You yes, know? it does. I can, yeah. oh, I can vouch for, for that sure. one personally. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, you know, this is a, a big topic, and I think when you come on again in a couple of weeks, we'll broach it again. Uh, it's uh, There's so much to know about this. So, uh, you know, um, can you give us a few examples of orthomolecular medicine, how it's used? Um, tr- uh, yeah, it's used like you said. It helps with um, mental mental disease. Is I think one of the most impressive one of the most impressive uses of it. But you know, um, for myself, I find that my autoimmune disease is triggered by a level of uh, mental overload. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, the stress or the um, stress or uh, just the Going through life and having to constantly, you know, bait back one thing or another, um, it, it, it causes me to lose my center. And when I do that, um, something physical like the ingestion of these high-dose vitamins, it's able to bring me back to center, which overall calms my system. So I think that it's, you know, you could say it's used for mental disease, it's used for physical fitness, it's used to um, combat degenerative disease or any sort of chronic fatigue or anything like that. But from where I stand, you know, uh, if you if you read anything that I write, it's all connected, right? It's all oh, the same absolutely. Thing. 
So yeah. <laughs> the way that it manifests in you is just, it's individual like you, but it's really all part of the same beast. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I had that uh, major jaw surgery six months ago, it was orthomolecular medicine that I used uh, that to to heal me. A, a lot of different modalities, uh, including, you know, infrared sauna, all kinds of things to detox yeah. my body as I was healing. I can't take antibiotics. So, you know, I had to be very careful that I didn't get an infection. Uh, right. You know, yeah, yeah. And so Dr. Pamela Smith was the particular pr- uh, practitioner that I used. But how do you find uh, an orthomolecular practitioner? Oh, goodness. I don't know. I just do it myself. I read the books. <laughs> you just read the books? Okay. Are, yeah, you know, a lot of them are old and um, available on eBay for $5. <laughs> okay. He has newer newer prints, too. But, you know, I like I like the original, the pioneers of it, Abram Hoffer, and I think the other guy's name is yeah, Linus yeah. Pauling or something yeah. like that. Uh-huh. But, you know, uh, I, I, I think that reading it myself and having this understanding, of course, you can find a, pr- a practitioner for it, too, as well. But, you know, why not? Why not have that self-awareness so that yeah. you can you can really heal yourself all the way? <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, Linus Pauling was a Nobel Prize winner, and he was one of the leading molecular yeah. chemists of the century, established the definition of orthomolecular medicine in 1968, I'm reading. Um, and so and it does yeah. treat so many different things. And as you said, you know, it's all one. You know, if you're if you're if you have disease in one part of your body, it affects your whole body. And you know better than anybody the gut microbiome is your immune system. It's controlling right. even your moods and everything and I don't yeah. know, there's so much to know about it and um you know, I I know, I know there, is- there really is. You could just we could talk forever on this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and some people think, oh, you know, well, they, they don't believe in this type of medicine. They'd rather do the allopathic medicine. But orthomolecular medicine, uh, you know, is all about nutrition and supplementation. And, you know, I, it doesn't really have any side effects, if you will. And the no, ones that, it really doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's about getting the body back into its peak, its peak physical shape so that it can perform at the level that, you know, our day-to-day demands. And that's really all it should be about. You know, I'm not necessarily looking for any superpowers. I just want, right. I just want to take care of my body and, and give it what it needs. You know, it's like there's something in one of the books that I read that struck me, you know, as far as if, if you're starving, if somebody's starving, you know, you can't just offer them one apple, you know, to really, to really write something as serious as starving, you've got to offer them a whole meal. Absolutely. My body. Well, I know something that's going to heal my heart here in just a minute. My baby's home from college. She's downstairs in her room. I haven't seen her yet. She came in while I was doing the show. Going to go, go hug my baby. Oh, my God, you guys. I can't wait. Um, thank you so much for listening, <laughs> Autumn. Can't, can't wait to talk to you. And let me know. When, uh, give me a must, as much advance when you're coming to Dallas so I can clear my schedule. All right, everyone. <laughs> it's the weekend, and it's Super Bowl weekend. You get one body. You get one mind. And you get one life. You know, take care of it. Enjoy the weekend. <laughs> Oh,